welcome to Art Dad Doesn't Like. I'm Lizzie. I'm Bede. And this is a podcast where I try to convince Dad that art actually hasn't gone down the toilet since Deschamps made the toilet the star of the art world. Uh, I, I knew we'd have to kick off with something controversial, um, and uh, that's uh, probably not unsurprising one to pull out of the hat. I guess, luckily for you, the subject of today's episode isn't Deschamps, but rather something, well, I guess the toilet is also a domestic item, so maybe that's the connection. We're also talking about another domestic item made into art today. And the reason why I picked this is that sardine tins were, I'd say, a major part of my childhood because you are actually a very good cook. However, egg night, so that's our family term unsurprisingly for any night where you make some egg-based meal or sardines on toast are two easy meals that you're really quite attached to yes and I always used to be mildly offended when you were at university and we'd say would you like to come to dinner on Thursday it's egg night Um, you'd manufacture some excuse not to Whereas if you heard that I had bought expensive cheeses, um, you inevitably turned up on our doorstep. I mean, you need to appreciate that I was a poor student on a budget and I was already overloaded with eggs and tinned food. So I think it's actually quite a cruel thing to offer when, for all I knew, every other night of the week you were having some delectable feast of caviar and champagne knowing the bourgeois person that you are well sometimes we did and still do have um cassoulet made according to recipe from eastern france with lovely (laughs) white beans um rich sausages lamb and duck so um yes your suspicions are well founded (laughs) i mean the sardine tins you know they're not that bad i mean they're not as good as cassoulet But I think they're even better when they're turned into art. And that's why the subject of this episode is Fiona Hall's Paradisus Terrestris. Okay, I'm eager to learn why these are art and why I should like them, uh, having had a look at them. Okay, well, I thought in terms of why you should like them, that the food associations would be enough, frankly, because uh, if there's something I know about you, it's that you like to eat. But I thought that the Latin title might also make this work more appealing to you. You're a bit of a Latin scholar. You've studied classics and archaeology. So what does Paradisus Terrestris mean? Uh, It means earthly paradise. Oh, well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? What does that conjure for you from your studies? Um, Well, some beautiful Garden of Eden, I suppose. And I, I suppose for you it must conjure life as a child in our household. Uh, yes, well, I don't think that we should air all of our family's dirty laundry on this <laughs> podcast. But I have to say, from my memory during my childhood, uh, being in an earthly paradise, doing garden work for mum, was not your favourite thing to do either. No, I always far preferred to find a corner somewhere and read a book rather than rub around in the garden. <laughs> That's true. Well, I will be letting mum know that you view her one of her favorite pastimes is grubbing around in the garden but uh so the reason I mean obviously that as you said conjures ideas of the garden of Eden but what these works are are they're a series of they're very intricate and delicate actually botanical sculptures made from sardine tins so each 
the lid of each tin has been rolled back as you do with a sardine tin, you know, they're a rectangular shape. So you can roll it back so that the lid sits as an extension of the tin. And at the top of the tin is a tin sculpture of a plant. But then within the tin is something quite surprising. And you say you've had a look at these sculptures. Can you tell us what's inside the tin? Well, inside the tin are often quite detailed uh, images or carvings of male and female genitalia, to put it in its proper medical term. (laughs) Yeah, so they're quite erotic or explicit images often. I wouldn't say that they are medical or clinical images, but these items were on display at the National Gallery of Australia for quite a long time. Perhaps they still are, but I remember in my childhood you would turn around one of the corners on the top floor and they would be there arrayed and I don't know if I was with you or with mum, but I remember once as a small child, you know, four or five, going past these artworks and saying, you know, looking at the flowers and I thought all the flowers were lovely and the plants you know, they look almost like fairy plants because they're silver and, you know, they look like something out of a fairy tale book. But then I remember asking, oh, you know, what's that inside the tin and just being ushered on to the next room? So (laughs) perhaps I was with you and not with mum because mum is quite direct with her nursing background when it comes to these things. Yes. Um, Well, I mean, they're, they're, you know, Actually, you know, I found that in life one often has to shield both the very young and the and the older person from shock um, because it calls to mind a story. Um, I and two of my cousins would often sit watching videos in the day that one had videos for hours and hours at my uncle and aunt's home. And one of my more elderly aunts was often there as well. And um, my cousins had these Labradors and we were sitting in this room, which was like an extension of the veranda and it had a very rattly door and the Labradors would come and rattle the door to try and get in and, you know, we have to shoo them away. Anyway, we were watching 1984 one day and uh, we heard this rattling sound at the door and Peter said, I better go and see what that is. And I said, no, it's just one of the dogs. And uh, in fact, uh, what our elderly aunt opened the door at the critical juncture where there was uh, a nude scene in 1984, and all she said was, and we said, no, 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 it's not that kind of film. And um, But uh, yeah, so this is probably uh, another aspect of the erotic arousing, um, you know, a desire to shield people from it. Yes, and I mean, speaking of shielding the elderly, how time ticks on because now you are the elderly person who would have to be shielded from the shock should we turn that corner in the NGA now. I I don't think I would actually find it that shocking. I'd find it quite unusual that this medium would be chosen um, for that display and interested to know why the artist did this, um, juxtaposing erotic carvings with botanical ones. It seems to me, you know, the thing that really uh, strikes me about this is a very, very strange combination, in fact, a threefold combination of the anatomy, the tin and the plants. Well, let's come back to the idea of materials uh, a little bit later and just give some more information on this piece. So 
Fiona Hall is an Australian artist and she was born in 1953 and she's very, very accomplished. She has an Order of Australia um, and she represented Australia at the 56th Venice Biennale in 2015 with her exhibition Wrong Way Time. And I'm not sure if you remember, but we saw that exhibition when it was after that shown at the National Gallery of Australia and it had this kind of Wunderkammer aesthetic. So this, you know, 19th century vitrines, an overwhelming number of objects gathered together in these uh, display cases. Um, but most of the time her works are using these everyday materials, which are then morphed into art objects. So uh, like in this show, she had aluminium cans turned into strips and then woven into skulls. And it was quite a dark show in that sense I mean both the lighting and the ambiance but the objects were these sort of creepy things that evoked this idea of an old-fashioned museum but this piece is quite light and I think part of that lightness comes from I guess the visual or material comedy of what you've said which is using a very ordinary object in this art. Yes I, I, it, that certainly is um, the most striking and unexpected aspect of it and I mean, in that sense, I think, as you've said, it evokes curiosity. Why why would one use these ordinary objects in art? I, I think here it is for comedic effect. But in terms of your classic question of is this art and do you like these pieces, do you like the idea of using these ordinary materials in art? Um, yes, uh, I think that. I appreciate the use of ordinary everyday materials. I'm, I just find sardine cans quite an odd choice. And it sort of almost takes, a, I don't know, it sort of takes away from the aesthetic of the remainder of the exhibition. So would you like these pieces more if they were made from materials that we normally associate with high art? I mean, if they were marble sculptures of genitalia, would you like that more? Yeah, I mean, even if they were metal, but not sardine cans. I, I, I suppose I find the sardine cans a very strange thing to juxtapose with the erotic and with the botanical. But uh, that's not a criticism of it. Um, it's, it. It's just a puzzlement. I will come back to the idea of puzzlement in a moment, but I suppose it's a good thing that you don't necessarily associate sardine tins with the erotic. I think if that was your immediate association, <laughs> that could be problematic. Although, you know, I don't know, this is probably a saying that's too youthful for you, dare I say, but have you heard the term don't yuck my yum? No, I haven't. Well, it means, you know, don't criticise or make fun of my kinks or the things that oh I see yeah so maybe you can start uh using that with your friends and you know yes. make, make it a thing but this idea of puzzlement I think you know it that really comes into this idea of the surprise of peeling back the tin to look at these images but also the fact that uh you know like I was describing as a child you look at the the plants draw you in and you know there's something very familiar they're very detailed and for me when I find that when I look at these pieces first especially because they're normally so there are a number of tins and they're all arrayed 
next to each other. So when you see them in a group, it rather looks like plants in a pot. And I think visually one's eyes are drawn first to the plants because, I mean, normally the pot is just a receptacle for the plant. But then it's when you look closer, you know, you notice, oh, there's something in that tin and, oh, it's a tin, you know, it's not a a pot. So it is a bit of a puzzle for the eye. And I think that's very good in a way because it encourages you encourages you to spend longer looking at the pieces. Yes. And I mean, you're, you're quite right. The plant does strike one first and then you say, oh, what, what's that in the tin? Uh, so I suppose it encourages one uh, to use a phrase, which I think is one that people like you in the art world use to interrogate the image. <laughs> <laughs> you find out more about it. Well, let's ask some more interrogatory questions. I mean, what then do you make of that? You've brought up this juxtaposition of not only um, the materials and sculpture, but it's also a juxtaposition of culture and nature. And the reason why I say that is that obviously the the nature part is clear, but the culture comes through not only in the materials, you know, this is a part of our daily material culture, a sardine tin is a very innocuous thing, but it obviously signals ideas of consumption and daily life at the most base level. But the names of these pieces are also very important. So uh, where relevant, they bear three names, an Indigenous Australian name for the plant that uh, Fiona used in consultation with the relevant Indigenous group, the Latin name and the colloquial English name. Some of them only have a Latin name and an English name. Of course, not all of these plants come from Australia, so that makes sense. But an example of this is, hopefully I pronounce these correctly, um, but apologies if I don't. The Indigenous name is Kawe or Chapurong. The Latin name, (laughs) which you will certainly correct me on, is Xanthoria australis. But in colloquial English, that's a black boy. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I can see there the colonial reference that's hidden in the colloquial name, not apparent from the Latin name or or from the indigenous name. Uh, I mean, is the viewing public meant to know that this pun is happening within the work? Well, the visual pun is made even more clear because in the case of a black boy, I... I don't know if you're familiar with these plants, Dad, are you? No. I will describe it to you, but we can perhaps post a picture of what these plants look like. The plant looks like a, I guess, a cylindrical sort of furry looking black tube or base. And then from the top comes sprouting uh, in quite a lush way, some green fronds, so quite spiky. And then from that, a flower can grow that's kind of like a a long black spear. But from (laughs) that visual explanation of what this plant looks like, from a Freudian perspective, and I know that Freud is not your favourite psychologist, what could that remind you of if you were of a Freudian turn of mind? Well, I, I suppose the obvious thing is is a penis. Yes, it's very, very obvious, although perhaps we could say it's not obvious and that's your your mind at play there. But we'll leave that aside for the moment. And obviously this is a very good example, this particular sardine tin, because the visual pun where this, is, this plant is coupled with a, a penis inside the sardine tin 
is very, very clear. So there's a play on words and there's a visual play. And because the name, I mean, the name of the tin with these three different names for the plant is given next to the tin, you know, it is clear, you don't need to look up the name. I think it it is meant to be clear to the viewer and encourage them to think about how words and more specifically names that we give things and their visual aspects can have all these different connections between them. Oh, yes, um, sure. So, I mean, that was that was my question, which you've resolved now, because I was wondering whether the viewer had to be familiar with the botanical Latin name the indigenous name and then the sort of colloquial name but if that's laid out then that must make it far easier to to understand and then ask questions about colonialism as well well yes actually on the topic of names i've just remembered one of mum's famous quotes in our family which maybe you'll remember more clearly because it was an insult to you because you're not known in the family for your knowledge of plants. You had said to her something like, you know, we were walking along and very proudly you said to her something like, oh, is that a rose? And she said yes, but then she said something like, uh, no one would come to you for botanical advice or something yes i think it might have been um no botanical observation of yours could be accurate or something like that <laughs> i mean i i'm notorious for not knowing what different plants or birds are so to be safe now even if i think something is a rose or a daffodil i just say look at that flower over there or, look at that <laughs> yellow flower over there knowing that i'm not going to be called up for not knowing the correct name i know the names of four-legged animals that's fine i'm very comfortable in that world um but not when you're looking at birds and they all you know are very very confusing some of them so i just say look at that bird in the tree realizing it might be a crow it might be an eagle um or some other species that i haven't even heard of well i mean this rather sounds like you need to go you know back to preschool where they show you the flashcards of you know cat and can you spell cat and that kind of thing but anyway not to to labor this uh, let's turn to something you're a bit more familiar with and that's latin i mean obviously these like we've been discussing these names have reverberations of colonialism and they refer to colonial appropriation of land and natural resources i mean that's um quite plain in the the use and renaming of the plants but it's also a way of laying claims through language and the Linnaean Latin of biological classification being applied to these quite humorous pieces is quite funny in itself because the images don't evoke the kind of clinical setting that Latin and these very formal methods of biological classification evoke. No, and uh, I think that there's a sort of contrast between the what you might consider the dry science of botany and the striking nature of the images. To take it even deeper, and this is something that wouldn't be obvious to a viewer unless it were explained in the gallery, but if one, so perhaps mum, but not you, were viewing these pieces in a gallery and had some more knowledge of plants, to take, again, the the black boy piece as an example, Indigenous Australians soaked 
those flowering spikes that I described to you in water to produce a sweet drink. But colonists, do you know what they did with this plant? Uh, no. So they collected the resin that this plant produces and would send it to commercial processes where it could be made into this very shiny lacquer for furniture. And I think, you know, that dominance over the land and turning what would have been very sustainable use of natural products by Indigenous Australians into a method of or subjecting it to commercial processing and use for furniture in a colonial domestic setting. It's a striking contrast. Yes, it certainly is. And uh, I guess it's a completely, you know, view of the the land as sustaining and the land as an exploitable resource. Yes, and and perhaps it is a long bow to draw, but I think the connection is there. You know, we see this cycle of plants used in this commercial way to produce domestic products and then here we have the plant shown sprouting from a di- another domestic product, which is the sardine tin. And I'm not saying that Fiona Hall necessarily meant to draw those specific links explicitly, but I think that what you've just said, you know, these connections between the domestic uh, material commercial world and the exploitation of resources and how we view plants because of that, I think that the connection is there yes and i I mean i think you know in light of that analysis you you must even you must concede (laughs) that i have impeccable environmental credentials because while all this disturbance of nature was going on in the garden um i took a principled stand and wouldn't involve myself in it preferring (laughs) to nature um you know not to try and master nature and let nature run run its course instead of mowing and weeding and planting etc aren't you proud of that yeah you're a real stalwart of the um the wilderness movement i'm very impressed i guess another thing you know i i mentioned how before Fiona Hall has used this concept of the Wunderkammer and these sort of old-fashioned methods of museum display. And you've asked, you know, well, why a tin that's a very curious, a sardine tin, that's a very curious thing to use. In that sense, I think that here, you know, the tins, especially with their roll back lids and the way that they can be arrayed next to each other, have reverberations of collecting practices. I mean, when you say that things are squeezed together like sardines, you know, it has this very evocative image of, um, you know, the sardines being crammed into a tin and this idea of containment and capture. I mean, that's something that we say in our spoken language, but I think here with the visual language, this idea of containment and collecting uh, and control I guess perhaps it reads into idea too much, but it does have that idea of containment. I mean, does that satisfy your question about why sardine tins or do you still think it's a bizarre material? Uh, No, I mean, once uh, once one sees it as a boundary, as a containment of the erotic that it contains, then, yes, that does make sense. And I think in terms of containing the erotic, that roll-down or roll-back lid that allows us to close off images 
And even the idea, you know, on sardine tins, I think not these ones that Fiona Hall uses, but in some of them, they have those little sort of keys that you slot into the lid. Oh, yes. Turn it yes. back. I think that even highlights it more because you have the sort of control over what's shown. So Almost like a, a stage curtain, really. Yeah, yeah. And we don't want to tease our listeners too much. I mean, we've explained one of the erotic images, but I think we should give them an idea of some of the other titles that contain puns or suggestive names so that they might be enticed to have a look at these pieces. But some of the other plants that Fiona Hall uses, and, you know, let me know if you have any further inflammatory commentary on these, Dad. One is the Venus flytrap. I mean, you know, women using their their wiles to get their way. That's a very obvious one. A screw pine, uh, which I (laughs) I have to say reminded me of once when we were in Sydney on Oxford Street and there is that one bar or club called The Toolbox. Again, not very subtle, but it sticks yes. in my mind. The old man Banksia, which, you know, in the tin shows the plant covered in the large nuts of the species. <laughs> a laden grapefruit, which is paired with a pair of breasts. And finally, which I think is um, my favourite idea from Fiona Hall, is this Narcissus exodorus, which is a daffodil, which you've said is one of the plants that you can identify. And that's paired with a man masturbating. So that idea of narcissism being in love with oneself, well, there we go. Yes, that that certainly is a problem of narcissism, isn't it? (laughs) So I think... On that note, uh, you know, you you like plays on words. We've covered off why sardine tins should be used. I've given you plenty of material about uh, the ills of colonialism and language. To get to the point of this podcast, do you like these? I don't dislike them, but I think, again, unfortunately, they don't pass the hang on my lounge wall test because it might be um i don't know if it would go with everything else put it that way (laughs) i also think that i i mean you can be quite um well you're a good budgeter let's put it this way and i think you would perhaps be reluctant to pay the amount that these would sell for when you have some perfectly good tins at home Yes, I, I mean, I'm I'm sure I I pay you know something like two dollars fifty for a tin of sardines at the shops. And what? How many are there in this in this um, exhibit? Uh, they've been shown in different collections, but say you got a collection of, I mean, ten that would make a nice display right. in the house. All right, twenty five dollars. Let's double it because it's also an artwork. Fifty. Um, so there you go. Well, I look forward to you opening one day your own. Uh, commercial art gallery because everyone's going to be able to get some budget pieces. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll invite you to my first retrospective. How about Ooh, that? Wow, pulling out all of the art terms. And at your age, there's a lot to um, there's a lot of retrospectivity to explore. Uh, <laughs> now, based on your 
life's experience as a parent, do you have any advice for parents whose children resist attempts to learn Latin so that they can understand these works? Do you think explicit works like these could be an enticement? Um, maybe, particularly to teenagers, I guess. Uh, but um, Latin, I mean, I, I resisted bitterly learning Latin, but eventually was really glad that I did because it introduced me to Roman history, which I love and which I studied at university in conjunction with architecture and it helped uh, archaeology rather. And it also helped me learning French and, and more latterly German because I could see the structure of language. So yeah, I think I, I would encourage the study of Latin. Okay, well, I, I do think that you need to adjust your expectations of what might represent an enticement to a, a teenager. Um, but <laughs> if any of our listeners are thinking of studying German, Dad's suggestion is that you start with uh, Latin. My suggestion is that you learn Latin so that you can better understand erotic art, but you can pick whoever's advice you would most like to follow. Next time, we're going to be discussing another piece with a Latin word in its name. And I don't think you'll be familiar with this one, Dad. It's Stefan van Fletteren's Corpus number 1000. 632. No, I'm completely ignorant of that work of art. Well, you're completely ignorant of a lot of things, so we can uh, <laughs> add it to the list. There are many more episodes to come on that basis. <laughs> well, we hope you can all join us next time to uh, revel in Dad's ignorance. And thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.